Hey everybody and welcome to the Payments Podium. This is part two of predicting payments for 2024. I want to welcome back our Galactic Trade Empire and Payments Elsa, also known as Cole and Dr. Angela Murphy, where we previously discussed some things as far as our predictions, what's going to happen in AI. Cole even said we're going to see some legislation. Not everybody agreed. And then we heard about, you know, maybe some consolidation of RegTech. Well, there's a lot more that I believe and I think the two of you also believe is going to be happening in electronic payments coming in 2024. And one of the big ones I want to mention, and it's been something that's, you know, been kind of, I don't want to say secretly happening, but happening that I'm paying attention to. And that's this guy, this, this crazy cat out there that's already built a payments company. He bought this company called Twitter and he renamed it to X, Elon Musk. If you're not watching, Elon has already gotten payments licenses in 13 different states in 2023. I know of 13 different states where he's already got a payments license to be able to use X, formerly known as Twitter. I mean, is it like Prince? Is that how we refer to it when he went to the symbol? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm confused by that. But nevertheless, Elon, you know, if you folks don't know, he was behind PayPal. All right. He was heavily involved in what happened over there at PayPal. He, he, he knows payments. He's made a ton of money in it before. He now, you know, he owns X and he's getting payments licenses. My prediction is, He'll get the other 37 and we're going to see the launch of near the at least middle or end of the year of X offering payments options. Whatever happened to Facebook pay? Oh, well, it became meta, isn't it? I, I mean, well, I don't Facebook, so I don't know. Because like Facebook has embedded payments. Yeah. Like there's payments embedded in their ecosystem. But like, I think that meta partnered with like Google or something to like do Google Pay and Apple Pay and things like that within the app. But I don't, I haven't seen a Facebook Pay thing or heard anything about it. Well, well will it happen on X, formerly known as Twitter? I mean, it and could. if it does, will it be limited to $124? Oh. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. I thought it was $248 now. <laughs> um, I would have to say that that's really... I think that it could happen, but it's about the method. So having the licenses is good, but license for what type of payment? Is it that they want, is it going to be like a wallet? Is it going to be like a Venmo or a PayPal? Like, is he going to basically replicate the success of PayPal, but like take out the things that went south in the last 18 months? Or is it that it's going to be like an actual like neobank? Okay, that is part of the mystery right there, is the question comes in, what exactly is he going to do? Because other than getting payments licenses, other than it is pointing towards the use of X or, you know, to use of whatever is formerly known as Twitter, there's not a whole lot of information out there. So a lot of this is, you know, anybody's guess is good on that. I do believe that Elon is one of those that, I mean, love or hate him, the guy's come up with some incredible products over the past few years, or decade really, more than decade. And what he comes up with, I wanna know, I wanna see, would it be a digital wallet? Will it be another form of instant payments? Will it be another, let's say, social media payment, like your Venmo cash app type stuff? That's the big question. I really think he's just gonna come up with more of another P2P exchange network, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'll step back and I'll say I think it's always a risky bet to bet against uh, against Elon. Again, to your point, love him or hate him. I mean, he's um, 
he's got a track record of taking risky bets that statistically pay off a lot more than most people. And, and, and so with that in mind, I, I do, st- I struggle a little bit. So like, I'll say, I would, I would say with near certainty based on what you've told me now, they'll quickly get to 50, 50 payment licenses and we'll quickly have an offering that will, will, will do this. But now I'm struggling with why, right? So if I think of like a Facebook pay, right? Like you've got your whole social network and like those are theoretically people that you're communicating to back and forth as opposed to more of a, a blast, right? And, and I do think, you know, I'm not a big Twitter user, but I think it's become more conversational over the years. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, right, uh, in a lot of cases, technologies fail, not because they're the wrong tech, it's just not the right time. So it's entirely plausible that, you know, building or rolling out exactly the same kind of approach that somebody like a Facebook had already done a few years ago is going to be perfectly fine when applied to to Twitter. Um, And I think that's one of those things that makes it nearly impossible to predict the adoption of technology. Well, when you mentioned something that's done years ago, I, I love hearing that too, because I know sometimes people just do things before their time. That it comes too early and people aren't ready for it. Like, okay, the Xbox One, being able to be your one place for all of your, you know, your entertainment. People weren't ready for that then, but people are now. But you go back 10 years ago when that came out and it wasn't as big of a success as people thought it would be because people weren't ready for it. But they are now. What exactly he will do with that, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm again, I'm curious. And I think it's because in a lot of ways, Elon has seen things in a different way than like traditional players. Like that's part of why PayPal became such a success. Like it's not just because they partnered with eBay. Like the idea was good. They found the right use case for it. And once that was solid, they took it to market in a myriad of ways. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm thinking about it from like an innovation perspective and on the previous podcast, we talked a little bit about being reactive rather than proactive. He's being proactive for a reason because payments is a revenue generator. You can make money because people have to pay for things. It is an inherent value in a capitalist ecosystem. And it would be in any other way. I mean, we could all be paying with rocks. Like there are societies from like a long time ago, I heard about a society where like the number of rocks you had outside your house was like how important you were. Like that's still currency, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think he's seeing it as a revenue generator because he's not going to put something out there that he can't make a billion dollars off of. Well, you know, the old adage is you go where the money is (laughs) and the best place to go where the money is, is in the movement of the money itself. So there's Mm -hmm. no doubt about that. Here, I want to throw another one in at you too. And this is one you're not going to see. Oh, what do I mean by that? It's invisible payments. There's actually a rise in what's called invisible payments. Now, people are probably already going, what is an invisible payment? And an invisible payment is basically when a payment takes place with very little interaction or requirement from the end user, but it still happens. It's more of like a background payment. So think of it more of if you have like, say, a ring or a device that you can just walk by and do an NFC, a near field communication tap, and it's been paid for type situation. Think of it, too, because, you may, hey, maybe Elon's going to do this. It's, it's something built into your car where you're able to just make a, a purchase with your car and it does it for you. Another example would be, you know, her name starts with an A, it ends with an A, and it's got a Lex in between. I can't say it, otherwise I might buy something <laughs> accidentally right now. But you're talking to that those smart devices, and you just say, hey, make this purchase for me, do this for me, I need, you know, more milk, something like that. 
it's the refrigerator actually that they're, they're out there. They have smart refrigerators that will be able to say you're running low on milk and automatically make the purchase for you. Invisible payments. You Hopefully you'll see them hitting your account and not go negative, but you won't see them actually happening. I think we're going to see a lot more of that taking place in 2024. You know, so, so this reminds me of, um, and you know, I've mentioned having worked in, in public transit before and one of the really interesting things. So the, you know, problem was always just, you know, how, how do you actually, the access device, right? How do you actually make the payment and do so in a secure way? And with something like transit, you're trying to not slow the flow of, of human traffic through a, through a line. And so the company I worked for at the time, um, and I think they had a patent on it, um, but it was a really novel approach, right? So if you think of the process as a, as a bus rider of getting on the bus, I need to go and I need to wait in line and then I need to take out my bus pass and I need to tap it or scan it or put cash in. And then once that's done, I'm going to move on. And there's all sorts of ways that you can actually simplify that payment. But the hard part is that if somebody gets access to your access device, being a, you know, your cell phone or your bus pass, that they're able to pretty effectively use that. And so what the company did in this instance, and Kevin, this reminds me a lot kind of of that concept of invisible payments, was they, they did a two-part Bluetooth plus near-field communication. And so the idea was once you're within a certain proximity of the bus, your Bluetooth on your phone would, would recognize that. So it'd be, aha, you know, Angela is, you know, within 50 feet of the bus. And then when you passed another threshold, when you got on the bus, there would be near field communication. I think still through the phone, that would be the second part of that chain. And it would say that Angela wasn't just near the bus, Angela got on the bus and now can be charged for it. And so I think there, there's a ton of opportunity to think through those kinds of human problems and how, you know, there's not going to be a case where I'm going to decide at the last minute to not get on the bus if I'm already on the bus, mostly, right? So what other problems could we apply that kind of invisible payment approach to? And maybe that's, you know, as we talk predictions, like, where else do you think invisible payments could be applied next year? I think there's a lot to that. And I think that we're moving that way in a lot of areas of our lives, particularly with the rise of contactless payments. Like when you will get tap to pay, like that's been significantly on the rise in 2023. And this is like the additional fallout from like the COVID-19 lockdown, right? Like where you couldn't really change cash hands with people, like hands couldn't change cash blah, whatever words. We know what we're talking about. You couldn't pay people and you had to use your phone to do it. Yeah. People didn't want to touch money or be near each other. <laughs> and so like we've seen the rise in contactless payments like the last two to three years. And that's pushing us more towards this invisible payments idea. So like I'm thinking retail, I'm thinking um, sports stadiums. So like a lot of stadiums in the U.S. right now are cash-free. They're only like tap to pay. They're moving to like basically only tap to pay, and so like the card is going away because it's going on the wallet on your phone, whether you're an Android user or another type of phone user. And so think about like going to a sports stadium, and rather than having like to wait in line and then you make your purchase with the person for your hot dog or your soda or whatever, like you walk up and you can like even order it on your phone, like from the stands. It's like, okay, in five minutes, I want a hot dog and a soda. And then you walk up. And when you get there, you have that, you know, RFID, you have the Bluetooth, 
you have that near field communication and you just pick it up and it charges your account as you walk away and it's done and you don't have to interact with anybody. It And it completely changes the look of the workforce too. So it's not like, oh, this technology, like invisible, and this is going to be like the next thing, right? Because we were talking about the Terminator in the last in the last podcast. It's not about this technology coming and taking away jobs. It's about making things more efficient so that people can do better things with their time. Like you could have more people cooking or something in that scenario, or like more people just preparing or putting the food in order on the counter rather than having to like have people yell at them because they're not paying fast enough, that type of a thing. I got to tell you, uh, you just made me think of something. Last night, I went and saw the Tampa Bay Lightning play. Go Lightning, go Bolt. Yeah. And while I was there, they have now a drink machine, an adult beverage drink machine, okay, to be specific, that is an automated, it's a machine. You got to, you get, you hook up with it. You tell it what kind of drink you want. You make all of your payment. You do it from an app. Now, a lot of people are going, you know, what about controlling the drinking age? There is a person that is there to make sure that as the people come up, if they look suspicious, hey, can I card you? But there's also a process. I don't drink, so I didn't test this myself, just for, you know, full disclosure out there. But I understand that there's also a process that in signing up, in ordering your drink, in setting up the digital wallet that does the contactless and visible payment, that you are verifying your age as well. But I'm hearing from the side of it is it's fast. Faster. It's more efficient. Your drink is to be more reliable as, as far as it's been mixed and made correctly. You're, as far as a business owner, the payment's being collected. It's faster. It's instant. It's invisible. And there's not the worry about the stock or like the overpour taking place and getting more drinks out of even a single bottle. So I think that kind of ties into, you know, what you're saying about what we're seeing in the sports arenas, at least, which is one place nobody seems to complain about how you got to pay because they're really there for the entertainment aspect. Yeah. You know what? When you were talking about that just now, I thought of something else. So what about like uh, the the other side of the service industry? So uh, uh, lawn care or landscapers or cleaners, like the people that you like outsource some of your domestic activities to, that could be something as well because they have to physically be like at your IP address or within like Bluetooth mm-hmm. level of where you are or where your home is. So having like a lawn care provider instead of having to manually ask you for a Venmo or something like that, and you have to do it every month, like they come in, they mow the lawn. They can like take a picture of it and say, this is done and they're there and then they just get paid and they go on their way and you don't even have to think about it. And the lawn care person is paid. You know, maybe it's not invisible payments as it's frictionless payments. I like that. That that, that sounds more like what we're we're discussing here that that more I'm thinking about it is it's making it frictionless. It's making it easier to make payments. Uh, All you security risk people out there, I hear you screaming and yelling, you know, we have to have authorization and all that. I get that. And a lot of that can be done in the ways we've described is part Mm -hmm. of the sign up process, a part of you even said proximity situations are going to be there. And I also know no matter what we set up, there'll still be a level of fraud that we will learn to control. But I I got to, you know, I got to ask a question because this is where I want to hear your predictions. I'm going to switch subjects on us big time. But I've got to know this one. I've got to hear what, you know, my, my payment geek friends, some of my most trusted opinions out there, not all the time, Cole, but I still love you. Um, when it comes to what you're seeing happen in the industry as far as faster payment adoption, 
I want to hear your predictions on faster payment adoption. Are we going to see it? Is it going to be consumer? Is it going to be business? Is it just a passing fad? But even more specifically, will we see more financial institutions on RTP over 2024? Or are we going to see more Fed now over 2024? So switching gears over to instant payments, what's going to happen in the U.S. in 2024 with faster payments? I would say give it a shot because I have some ideas, but I want to pin it on some of what you have to say. Yeah. So um, if I'm betting, and, and again, I'm by far the least versed in this space, right? Um, so, so take anything I say with a grain of salt. I would suspect that just data-wise, FedNow is going to see faster adoption in 24 than, uh, than RTP. And I say that solely because I think there are going to be more financial institutions who already have a relationship with the Fed and are generally comfortable dealing with them. And even if they're engaging or initiating uh, the clearinghouse, going through vendor management and implementation is a long process. And I think there, I think there are more cases where we are likely to see more fully implemented programs for FedNet. I am not sure that I agree with all of that just because I don't feel like the Fed learned any lessons from RTP rollout. Good point. <laughs> um, so it, so hear me out on this. So the RTP network, they're like fi- something where like 58 million transactions this year that totaled almost $30 billion like in the past year to 18 months. So like, that's great, but it took them five years to get there. And that's a long time for something that's supposed to be a faster payment method. And so when I was looking at the rollout of FedNow, I was expecting them to look at what had been done well in the UK, in Brazil, what learnings they could have taken from these other faster payment schemes and to do it better. And I don't feel like they did. I think that they assumed because they were the Fed that people would just jump on board and that banks would be like, yes, we're doing this. And then that the generic consumer or SMB, which makes up 68% of businesses in the United States, would know what a faster payment was and would know what a Fed now was and would go to their bank and say, one Fed now payment, please, which just simply didn't happen. The other issue with Fed now in 2024. Wait, is wait, that- I got to stop you right there because because Elsa, before you snowball out of control, I want to stop and build this snowman up piece by piece. All right. Uh, so <laughs> let's let it go for a second. Enough references <laughs> to frozen there in one sentence. Number one, can we can we ag- maybe agree that RTP's adoption got slowed because of the announcement of FedNow? That when people heard, hey, FedNow's coming, that suddenly people pumped the brakes on jumping on the RTP network. I think there's an argument to be there. And I love you compared to the UK and Brazil. I truly do. But I think there's also an argument in the fact that the UK has, what, a dozen banks? I mean, they can get together for tea and crumpets and make a decision over what they're going to do. Okay? <laughs> U- US, we got 10,000, almost 10,000 institutions. And we can get 10 together and they still can't you know, come to an agreement. We go to Brazil and there was a mandate. There was a government mandate that said this had to happen. US has never mandated anything as far as payments, you know, uh, it's the option of the financial institution what payment channels they want to be on. So I think that makes a difference in some of this, though I agree with a lot of what you're saying. 
I agree without a doubt. I want the Fed paying attention to what's happening globally. And I also agree that there's some things that have happened globally that they should have learned from and haven't yet. Yeah. And that's like part of the challenge with spinning up these schemes, right? And I mean, like the banks own the clearinghouse. Mm -hmm. So at, there's like this idea that the banks came up with this to begin with because they kind of pushed the clearinghouse to develop the RTP network. So they're already supposed to be conversing in faster payments and understanding the use cases and how it is going to affect their clients and their end users. And I haven't seen that fluency as much as I would like, particularly now that we're five years in on the RTP network and that the Fed got a huge splash in the news. I just, I had more of an expectation that there would be a higher level of fluency and education around it. Mm. Um, and so I think that that's going to be pretty limiting going into 2024. And while I do think that we will see sl a slight uptick in adoption for FedNow in 2024, as of right now, there's only about 100 institutions that are on the Fed rails and most of them are receive only. No, 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 no. I got to correct you there. There's only oh, has that changed? Fifty. Oh, it's I up to 350. There's at least 330 right now being oh, advertised on the Fed website for real. Now, again, you're right about most of them are receive only. Because yeah. one of the things when I, I and this is why I had to ask this question, is we know that the RTP network, they're at around 450, 460, I believe right mm -hmm. now. I hope I'm right on that number because any of my RTP friends out there will be letting me know when this goes live, For whether sure. or not I have that number <laughs> correct. It, we're still in 2023, folks, just so you know, this is being filmed before Christmas. And I know the Fed's at around pushing close to 350. Now, here's the key difference in looking at that. The things that I know as far as looking at the data, okay, yes, it took years for RTP to get there, but I also think Fed now slowed some of that down. However, the Fed's done that in less than six months. In less than six months, they've almost equaled what the RTP network has. What I think we will see is we'll see more FedNow adoption, but we will also see steady rise of the RTP network as well. Because if you also look at the participants, as far as Financial institution size, the larger institutions are already on the RTP network because you nailed it. They made it. It's their network. They're the ones that own the clearinghouse. It's their network. They're going to use it. And the smaller institutions, well, they're kind of gun shy getting on that network because it's owned by the larger institutions. But I really, truly believe this. There will be the institutions in the middle that are going to say, I want both. Why both? Because I want to make sure that my account holder that when my account holder goes to make or receive a payment, they're going to get it. That my account holder doesn't have to be held hostage because I'm only on one network. I really believe that the more proactive institutions who care about the account holder are going to say, we're going to be on both networks just to ensure we can provide the service to our account holder because there are benefits to both networks. I have a question, actually. Yeah. Does anybody have the Venn diagram of who's on RTP Network and who's on FedNow? I don't. Yes, there is no. a Venn diagram. There's there's a, there's, that's what like, the listeners need to know. Um, I might have to go make that now. It can actually be easily done because it is public data. Anybody who wants to know, you can go on the RTP website, actually the Clearinghouse website for RTP. There is a listing of all the institutions that are out there and on the network. There is also a Fed website that lists all of the participants on the Fed network as well that can give you that. Now, I know that 
uh, here at Pigeon. I also know some of my friends over at OPN. We've made Venn diagrams to be able to show that to help people, you know, to say, hey, we encourage you. Here's what some of the other people are doing, too. And this is why we encourage you to do it. And this is what they're reporting back. So um, we need somebody to make that Venn diagram. If somebody makes that, I, you know, I, I'd like yeah, to see that yeah. myself. Because well, that's like my, my area of interest is yeah. like, what's the Venn diagram for those two entities? And then also like who's on send and receive, who's on receive and mm -hmm. who's on send. Because I think when you take those data points and you layer them onto each other, it's going to tell you what 2024 has the potential to do. Because right now I don't see a ton of growth in FedNow transactions if we don't get more banks to send. If, there, if the majority of the 350 banks that are on FedNow or receive only, that's not a network, really. Well, my last prediction for 2024 that we'll have time to at least be able to get recorded this year is the fact that we've already had U.S. Treasury come out and say, we're going to use it, but we don't know how yet. And what I really believe what we will see in 2024 is U.S. Treasury will start announcing more specific use cases. They will start announcing more specific branches, like let's say Veterans Affairs or the big granddaddy of them all, IRS. Come on, IRS people. Who out there do you think doesn't want to get their return faster or you know, in the case of being able to pay up to the last minute for anybody who's got to be able to pay? It is the perfect use case for FedNow. So I'm predicting we will see the Department of Treasury uh, Bureau of Fiscal Service even will probably make some more announcements about what it is going to be like to be able to see true use cases sent and receive will, that will come about just because of Treasury. And that, that will lead into being the catalyst that causes Fed now to skyrocket and more use cases to come from it. So, so if you see me smiling here, Kevin, this is exactly <laughs> back where I had started. So, so I think I may, in our first session, I may not have been super clear with what I meant about regulation, but, but I'm, not, I'm not predicting new payment-specific regulations, right? There, I mean, there probably will be, but what they are, who cares? What I'm thinking is, timing-wise, right, uh, CHIPS Act, and I think that was 2022, maybe it was 2023, uh, and then the Inflation Reduction Act, both have significant direct payment provisions from the IRS, right? Significant. And so in both of those cases, there are going to be a lot of cases where there are smaller and more frequent opportunities for lower value payments that just might not make sense through something like Fedwire. So in addition, so yes, 100% on things like, like uh, you know, tax refunds, right? Like why, why wouldn't you spend the extra couple bucks to get your money today? But I also think there's going to be this whole other subset of, of kind of what I'll call externalities, right? Things that were not intended to be impacted by the legislation, like I can't really make a good argument to say anything to do with the Inflation Reduction Act's green energy tax credits have anything thought-wise to do with FedNow. But if I were the Fed, I'd sure as heck settle those with FedNow. <laughs> Angela, any closing comments? Closing comments. Uh, we thought 2023 was a shakeup. Get ready. This is going to be... 2024 is going to be like the Guardians of the Galaxy ride in Disney World. All right, Cole, what about you? Any last comments before we close out 2023 and the wonderful world of payments it's been? 
You know, um, well, first off, just a huge thank you to, to both of you for, for having the opportunity to, to chat with this. And, and maybe the thing I'll leave it is one of the central tenets I've, I've arrived at with regards to predictions is one, we as humans are terrible at predictions. I expect most everything I predicted to be wrong. Uh, but two, whenever we're thinking about the future, we have a tendency to assume that new technology will replace old technology. And in practice, in almost all cases, old technology will persist alongside new technology much farther into the future than we expect. All right, everybody. I want to thank Cole Augustine with Galactic Trade Consultants. He's on LinkedIn if you need to go find him. Dr. Angela Murphy, also known as Payments Elsa, also on LinkedIn if you want to go find her. And if you have trouble finding either one, you get a hold of me and I'll get you in contact with them. One thing I will predict is things are going to happen in 2024 and the Payments Professor is going to be here to be able to help you provide that education, be able to give you a voice in what's happening in payments. And as always, if there's a topic you'd like to have discussed, if there's somebody you think that needs to be on the payments podium, or maybe just a video about payments to help you understand all of this, email me, kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. 2023, that's behind me now. I'm looking forward to more in 2024. But for now, class dismissed. <laughs>